Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Oregon Trappers Association podcast. The Oregon Trappers Association strives to combine heritage and tradition with today's need to manage, control, and conserve Oregon's wildlife resources. I'm your host, Andrew Dehart. Before we get into the show today, I'd like to remind all our listeners about some upcoming events that are happening in the world of the Oregon Trappers Association. First off, we have a rendezvous up at Waldo Lake off of Oregon Highway 58 between Bend and Eugene. That starts on August 26th and goes through the 28th. Please come up and join in the events, the camaraderie. There's a small auction to be held. It's a lot of fun. I highly encourage you to come up and join in. If you want to get some apparel for the 50-year rendezvous, you can visit our website, www.oregonta.org, and click on the link provided to find all your hats, your shirts, sweatshirts, etc. Or you can find our link on our Facebook page. You need to get those orders in quickly though because the store closes on July 31st, so that's the last day. So click on there, get in, get your apparel ordered, and we'll see you at the rendezvous. If you can't make it to the rendezvous, we have some other events coming up. Uh, We have a trapping school at E.E. Wilson Wildlife Area. That starts Saturday, September 10th, and it runs from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. If you have questions about either of those, you can call Don Nichols Jr. at 503-757-7704. We hope to see you there. If you got some antlers that are just sitting around in your shed or piling up in the corner of your house, we'd love to have them. We're doing an annual antler drive to raise funds to help support the fight to keep your trapping rights. If you want to donate antlers, contact Jim Soares at 541 805-5194 or email them at jims at eoni.com. There's some exciting things coming up with the website. We're revamping it. It's coming up here soon. Look for it in the next couple of months. We're going to be having a membership click to join. We're going to have some more contact info on there for you. So if you want to get a hold of us, you'll be able to easier. Our website will be completely revamped and have a totally new look. Anyhow, today we're sitting down with Annie Raish. Uh, she runs High Desert Wildlife Control in California. Annie, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you today? I'm doing just fine. I'm having a good, relaxing day. Excited to talk to you. Um, from what I've heard, you're a you're a wealth of knowledge when it comes to uh, wildlife control operator work. So I'm glad to have yeah. you on the show. <laughs> well, thanks for the compliment. Well, you're welcome. Um, so, Annie, up here in Oregon, you know, our nuisance trappers are known as wildlife control operators. Um, what What is your official title down in California? Normally wildlife control operator, same. Okay. The uh, term a lot, a lot of people are becoming much more familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in, in Oregon here... Um, you know, wildlife control operators are licensed through the state of Oregon to run their own uh, wildlife nuisance control business. Is that how California is run too? Yes. Okay. Um, what general area are you working in? Um, I'm in the um, uh, West Central Mojave Desert. Um, a lot of people, if you think of Death Valley or you think of Joshua Tree National Park or um, things like that. I'm kind of in, kind of in the middle of all that. Okay. And roughly, you know, give or take, how far do you travel for, 
uh, your jobs? Oh, uh, it actually depends on what we're doing. Um, you know, with a price of gas, that doesn't help matters any, um, you know, but it, uh, and especially in this state, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends on the type of work that we're doing really. Um, if we're doing something like contracted go for work at a university or, um, you know, uh, you know, ground squirrel work, um, you know, which is kind of a, you know, with go, same with gophers, you end up with, you know, maintenance issues. Um, for some of that stuff, you know, we'll go 60, 90 miles one way. Um, but for other issues where you're dealing with like, uh, uh, raccoons and addicts, things like that, we, we have to stay kind of local and we do have limited habitat for species like that, although they're spreading, uh, um, so, you know, because of trap check requirements, uh, law, you know, that are required by law. And also because we don't want animals sitting in traps, especially in extreme temperatures. Um, that kind of stuff, we stick closer to home. We have to. Okay. Yep. No, that makes sense. That's, uh, that's how it is in Oregon too. You know, you can only go so far. Your required, um, trap check for WCOs is, uh, is something you got to stay to pretty, um, pretty seriously. So it does limit your range. Um, so for me, you know, for me, it's not just the law, it's the ethics of it. Um, you know, I, just because an animal's a nuisance animal does not to me mean that it does not deserve humane care, period. I don't care if it's rats. I don't, I don't care what it is. If, you know, if it's a vertebrate animal, you know, they sense fear, they sense pain. Um, they suffer. And, you know, I don't want to make that an issue. Um, you know, it's, it's bad enough that they're already in a position to where we have to do something. Um, I don't want to add that for that animal ever. Well, and I'm, I'm glad you said that because I think a lot of people get a misconception that um, trappers in general are cruel people and they don't appreciate nature. And I think it's the very opposite. I think... You know, most trappers that you will find have the biggest heart you can imagine and do not want animals to suffer. They care about the animal and they try and act professionally and be courteous to that animal for um, the service they are providing. Absolutely. Yeah, I had a, I've had an issue I've been working on the last several days with uh Oh, this poor guy, he's got a, a property with a, with a huge, um, outbuilding, like a shed on it. And it is a skunk factory under there. It's like a pez dispenser for skunks. It's unbelievable. Uh, he thought he had three, you know, I threw cameras out there and I knew we had more. I do use a lot of cameras. Um, I, I, uh, I went and I, I, uh, in the evening when it's cool, you know, uh, that's when I'll set traps. And then if they fill up, I'm going back that night. I don't want them in there all night. I don't want them in there the next morning when the sun comes up, because in this climate, they're going to roast, you, you know, even in a covered trap, they're going to roast. And that's awful. So, uh, you know, here I am doing so many skunks. I'm doing trap transfers of, of skunks in the dark <laughs> at night so that I can reset these traps and, and hopefully get more guys before morning. And sure enough, I'm not even down the street. Bang my camera starts going off again and it's like you got to be kidding me i'm i'm not five miles away and i look at my footage sure enough i got two more skunks and three more skunks and traps and it's like and and so i'm turning around before i even get home i'm getting those guys out because i don't want them in there all night trying to escape um and we do have other predators around so they may end up harassed by predators or you know who knows so you know i did i did trap transfers twice 
in one night and, and came home with uh, nine skunks. Oh, man. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you, wow. So if, if that's what it requires and that's what I have to put into it, you know, I mean, I signed up for this. So I need to see that through. And I, you know, I, I don't want them stuck in traps forever. It's just it's just not the thing to do. So um, do a lot of work at, at night in the warmer months because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I can avoid being out in the heat of the day, too, I'm, I'm more than happy to. So um, kind of, you know, just kind of stay in when it's hot and uh, do a lot more work in the afternoons, evenings and, and during the night at this time of year. Yeah, I I can't blame you there. What well, I mean, what do you see for temperatures? I, I know down there around the Mojave Desert, I mean, it gets into the 120s pretty regularly. Oh, it can. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're like at probably 106 right now. It's not too terribly bad. Um, and it is dry, which unless it's, you know, monsoonish weather, which is um, unless you're standing in, you know, roasting in the sun, um, it's not it's not unbearable. Um, I have lived in the deep south, so I know what that humidity is like and I feel like I need to wring my lungs out. So, um, yeah, you, you've got to take all of that into consideration when when you're dealing with wild animals and the behavior that they display in order to be able to survive in this type of a climate. And then you need to address dealing with those animals according to, you know, how they've altered their behavior to survive in this climate. Mm-hmm. No, that that's a very appropriate way to deal with it. And, um, very professional of you. I, I have to say that, um, that is oh. a dedication to your job and, and caring about what you do. Yeah. You know, I see people in other regions. Yep. I work nine to five and that's it. And I'm like, wow, I don't think I've ever worked nine to five and ever, you know, it's just, that's just not the way it works here. It, it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, going on with that, um, what uh or in i think it was 2019 uh the wildlife protection act was signed by governor newsom down there correct and that was yeah and that banned um recreational um trapping and fur harvest yes um did that so so going on with that that put a lot of um demand for wildlife control operators and and from what i've heard you know california already had some pretty strict regulations yes what are some of those that you as a wildlife control operator now have to deal with um you know what are your your check intervals what do you have to do for with the animal once you've kept or caught it um Mm -hmm. What kind of, you know, what kind of equipment can you use? That kind of stuff. Yeah. What are the hoops that you have to jump through now? Okay. Well, the hoops started over 20 years ago when they uh, banned foothold traps. You know, they, of course, were portrayed as these awful contraptions that that decapitate animals' legs. And, and you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not realizing that biologists, in, you know, in other states use these all the time for um being able to monitor wildlife populations you know they'll trap animals so that they can collar them or do blood samples or or even you know you know get trap animals from one area and uh replace them in another where for some reason the population crashed or you know there's so many good things about foothold traps that the public never hears about because if used properly 
They don't even break the skin. You know, they don't crush bones. They don't have teeth in them. They don't. There, there's so much there. So anyway, we started with that over 20 years ago. And when that happened, uh, fur trapping as as uh, for recreational started to drop off because that was the primary um, uh, for fur bearers. That was, you know, one of the primary methods that was used. So starting about that time, of course, with less people recreationally trapping, we started having more problems with some species of animals, coyotes being one of them. Um, especially in the inland areas that are that are more populated, those populations were were kind of kept in check um, by recreational trappers and at no really at no cost to anybody. Um, you, know, you fast forward as as the laws continued to ramp up and I believe in 2013 or 2014, um, I'd have to check. Um, a resident down in my end of things here um, in, a, in a little town called Joshua Tree found a bobcat cage trap on his property and blew his stack. And, you know, the trap that left it there was that wasn't smart. Um, it ended up resulting in a ban on bobcat cage trapping statewide. Oh, man. And yeah, and there was still a hunting season that ended up being banned about a year or two later. So I never, ever used to get bobcat calls. It was so rare, you know, about them getting into a chicken coop or they, you know, they attacked and killed the baby goats or whatever. Because a lot of where we are is we're very spread out. We're very rural. A lot of people raise their, their own meat birds, their, you know, and eggs and turkeys and cows and you name it, you know. Um, it's just kind of a way of life here. And since since the the bobcat thing is is huge here for me um those calls were so rare i mean maybe one a year now i can get like 10 of those a week wow we've got bobcats everywhere and there's no control of them whatsoever so of course you know the people who pass these laws they don't want to hear about things like population densities or carrying capacity or spillover or any of those things that create problems between the human wildlife interface. And so as these populations grow, they need food and they need habitat. And what are, what are they doing now? They're roaming everywhere around here. I see two or three a week uh, in my neighborhood. My next door neighbor had her chickens hit. Um, there's always, and they show up on people's, now that everybody's got ring cameras and you know all of that neat technology. Um, you know, people are always posting photos of everything from mountain lions to coyotes to bobcats to yeah. I mean, you know, we've had we've had mountain lions roaming around here like 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 crazy. Uh, and then there's other laws that have been passed that make even they make that stuff even harder to deal with. Um, if someone has a um, a bobcat issue, and and you know, there's been a, a depredation problem, you have to apply for a permit and have a, a permit approved by a C, uh, California Department of Fish and Wildlife biologist before you can legally trap that cat. Once that cat is trapped, that cat's carcass has to go to the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. The only time you can take care of a bobcat is if you're a property owner and you catch a cat either stalking or in the act of attacking your animals. Um, the same laws hold true for, for loose and feral dogs, which we also have huge problems with. Uh, and, and the same goes with, with mountain lions. Um, 
it better be a, a, a dead set emergency if you've shot one of those things on your own property. You know, I tell people just put the gun down right where you stood, walk in the house and, and call the authorities um, because depredation permits are required by for those. And now they're getting to where they don't want to issue those because they want to protect mountain lions. Well, last summer I stood there and I watched a, a beautiful female mountain lion up 40 some odd feet up in a pine tree um, just a few miles west of me. And she was up there stalking little mini horses that were in a paddock directly below that tree. And this elderly gentleman called me freaking out. Who wouldn't? And um, I did everything I could to get him help. Um, I was getting ready to to, to get a, a, you know, I, I do have cougar traps. Um, I was going to get ready to get, throw one of those under a tree, bait it well so she would go for that. They could dart her. Uh, like they used to, you know, get her tranquilized and get her back up into the mountains. And um, turns out that, nope, they just passed other laws that make, you know, we're not supposed to do that anymore. Do not set a trap there. You're going to be cited for it. We need to let the mountain lion do what it's going to do. And, you know, it'll leave the area. And I'm like, you know, my thoughts are, so nobody ever came out. Um, you couldn't get authorities out. I wasn't allowed to touch this cat. You know, and it, to me, that's not the definite definition of conservation. For me, um, you know, let, allowing that animal to learn that it can hunt, you know, 35-year-old little mini horses or goats or sheep or wh whatever's there, that animal's going to end up being killed, period. Mm -hmm. Sooner or later, that's, that, that's a dead cat walking. So what's, what, where, where is conservation there? Is conservation and allowing these animals free reign so they can, you know, they, they cause carnage and property loss and food loss for people? Or is it better to get that cat trapped and get it back up into the mountains where it belongs? We know it's in its home range because they have such huge home ranges. So I, I don't understand that. I, I cannot make heads or tails of why regulations like these are being passed. Uh, and you know what? I, I don't understand it either. I know that uh, in Oregon we've had a – so when I was a kid, you know – it was a really rare thing for somebody to harvest a cougar. You heard about one or two of them, you know, in, in your general, you know, 200 square mile area in a year. Or even the whole state for that matter. I mean, it, it was just, yeah, it was really uncommon. And and since Oregon, I think Oregon lost the right to hunt cougars with dogs in 1994. Mm -hmm. Um I believe it was measure 14 that passed. Um, there's been a rapid uptick and now it is more and more common to see conflicts with, with cougars. And, yep. and it's something that, I mean, thankfully we still have a hunting season. So when you do see one, if you have a tag, by all means, um, you can harvest it. And in Oregon, <clears throat> as far as I know, um, if it is committing or about to commit depredation, uh, you have the full legal right to protect your livestock, which is right, which is concerning to me from what you just said in California. That's some people. That's their livelihood, you know. Well, and, you know, you're you're right because we've got people here. You know, um, you know, this isn't like you know, like Silicon Valley or somewhere where you know it's this extremely wealthy community and people can just buy whatever they want. You know, we have a lot of people who, um. You know, they feed those kids, they feed their kids eggs for breakfast that come from their chickens outside the back door every morning. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that that's how people, a lot of people here live and have lived for a very long time. Um, there's there's a, uh, a quite a lot of self-sufficiency here. You know, not only does it save money, it's, you know, a lot of people aren't close to, you know, grocery stores or things like that. So, you know, they're they're raising their, it's like when I buy beef, I, I buy I buy beef from a neighbor. I get my eggs from a neighbor. I get my meat birds from a neighbor because I don't have time to do any of that stuff myself. Um, but the grocery store is the last place I'm going for that kind of stuff. So you've got a lot of people that, you know, they'll, they'll butcher a few hogs a year and, you know, they'll, they'll sell that to, you know, either it's, it's going to go to, you know, to the butcher for, for their own freezers, or they're going to sell a few animals that are going to go to, go to slaughter. Um, and that's kind of, that's how some people make ends meet. So when you've got, you know, all, all of this pressure, coming down on people who are just trying to make ends meet it's it's really unfair um and i mean i i've i've dealt with people that are literally in tears because they've they've lost all their meat birds and all of their egg birds and it's like well now do we now what are we going to feed the kids for breakfast Mm -hmm. i mean literally and that that's not right you know when when wildlife has got more I don't want to say rights, but, you know, are given such a right away that it doesn't matter the damage they cause. That is troubling. Mm-hmm. No, and and I couldn't agree with you more, you know. I, I cringe every time I – one of my mottos is I don't like to go buy meat from the store. I have right. cows at home. I have pigs at home. Um, I heart, try and harvest <clears throat> a deer and an elk and a bear every year. You know, I mm-hmm. have a I have a chest freezer full of meat. I should yep. have to go buy meat. And for some people, you know, whether they're raising goats or chickens or cows, you, you're absolutely correct. That that's how they make ends meet. And unfortunately, the the big cities making decisions for rural parts of America is think, is yes. hindering them. Yes, these are people that you know think that their meat comes shrink wrapped, in you know, on a nice clean white tray in the grocery store you know and anything that they've heard about cattle or anything else well it's all slaughterhouses and it's all cruel and it's it's this and it's that and it's you know and uh they they just don't understand that that other people have different ways of life and there's there's so little respect for that which i find unfortunate because you know when when covid first hit a really good example is how fast all the grocery stores got cleaned out of that will appear meat and, and, and produce and you know, everything, you know, but people that are, are already kind of more self-sustainable or more self-sustaining, um, they weren't having the food problems that like people down in the LA basin were, for example, mm-hmm. we had a lot of those people coming up here and cleaning our grocery stores out. And so for our, our people who are living paycheck to paycheck and don't have, credit cards with a $50,000 limit on them, you know, couldn't go to the grocery stores and clean the shelves. So by the time they get paid, there, there's not, there's literally nothing there. I got photos that would blow your mind of what was going on in my immediate area. Oh. Um, so, you know, you, you've got people that, and that uh, it's just, it's just such a frustrating issue, you know? And yes, people that are, that are making all of these laws um, or proposing legislation or whatever, they don't take into consideration what this means for a whole lot of people that live in more rural areas of this state. This whole straight state is not a metropolis. Mm-hmm. 
No, I it, exactly, and it's you know, I think people. No, need I'm to, like, uh, you know, and I'm I'm at the point. I was like, well, you know, during COVID, okay, it's it's rabbit season right now. If I get low on meat, I'm going rabbit hunting. I'm gonna go. I you know I will eat. I I'll eat fine. You know, because I've got those skills and I'm able to do that. Um, but you know, for people that that are just raising what it is that they're feeding their families, um that is not taken into consideration on the state level at all ever. Right. If it is, it's drowned out very quickly by louder voices with deeper pockets. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, after going on that rant, let's, uh, Oh yeah. Well, that's a rant that, that, you know, that needs to be ranted no, because no, people I, need to understand this, you ab- know? Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's one of our main points that we've, been trying to stress here is you know if you guys if the state decides to get rid of this here are the problems that we are going to face and and people need to understand that in its full capacity yeah i I, let me give one other quick example is is this hands-off policy um that is is suddenly a, a new thing uh we had a black bear show up in the city of victorville which is not, a, which is, I can't say a metropolis, but it's, you know, it's, it's all paved in city streets and there's Best Buy and there, you know, this and that and all that stuff there. Um, Black Bear and, the, and uh, animal control tried to deal with it. They called the California Department of Fish and Wildlife who declined to respond. And that Black Bear ended up getting hit by a car on a city street a few months ago. That's real humane. It's like, are you kidding me? I have a bear trap in, you know, a bear trap trailer in my front yard i could have gone out there and set a trap but am i am i allowed to do that no you know so i i you know i look at this stuff and say wow you know well where, where where's conservation in that mm-hmm. yeah what do you think is going to happen to that animal and is it really fair to the person who hit it and i don't know you know i wonder how much car damage they had there nothing was ever said about that but i mean it literally stated in the media that you know uh fish and wildlife was contacted and and they declined and you can't really blame fish and wildlife because they have they're having handcuffs put on them to the point to where they, they can't do their jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not them making the rules. You know, when a lot of this legislation comes through that, of course, people never get to vote on or anything else. And the and the recreational trapping ban was one of those that got shot straight through, through the legislature. You know, you got people on the other side of this. They're saying, hey, this is why wildlife management is por- is important. This is why it needs to be done. That all gets ignored because of, you know, the, quote, Bambi syndrome. I don't know what else to call it. Emotion. Emotional decisions. Exactly. Exactly. It's not fact-based. It's emotion-based. And this is cruel, and that's cruel, and all Californians deserve to have viewable wildlife. Well, that's great until you've got black bears that are getting hit in the street or you've got mountain lions that are literally – in a, one neighborhood for weeks at a time and are in numerous video cameras, you know, footage what people are posting, et cetera. That's just, this is like in the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, where do you draw the line in where, you know, you're actually doing what's most humane to conserve wildlife um, and, 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 and truly operate, you know, in a wildlife conservation capacity versus, Allowing animals to suffer and cause, you know, property damage, um, attacks on people, you know, things like that. Where, you know, the line needs to be moved 
the goalpost needs to be moved desperately in this state. And I don't know what it's going to take before somebody wakes up and sees this for what it is. Well, and I think a lot of people think wildlife conservation means having as many animals as possible and and let and just kind of being hands off and that that really isn't the case. The case yep. is managing the wildlife so that there is a sustained population that is healthy and not causing conflicts with other species, humans included. Exactly. And, and that, you know, that is I constantly, true. Yeah, I constantly, and well, we're, you know, we're living in, you know, we've ruined their homes. We're living in their habitat. Okay, that's true of every square inch of the United States of America. And what I tell people is we do not live in America 500 years ago. We live in America now. And wildlife needs to be properly managed. I mean, do you want to see, it, it's like, you know, all the mangy coyotes, you know, that people see. Mm-hmm. Um, is that humane or would you rather have a certain number of animals being harvested a year so that you don't see starving skinny animals that end up mangy and, you know, and, and with distemper or, you know, parvo or whatever it is that they've caught, you know, or, or same with raccoons, you know, they, they end up with, with distemper is a big problem, mm-hmm. um, in some parts of the state, you know, it's, it's like, you, you know, what exactly what I'm saying here. Um, there's there's a there's a huge disconnect and, and a lot of this is animal rights and anti-related most of it actually um because they've got loud voices they're very well organized and they will run you over like a steamroller and they don't and, have any clue what it actually takes to to conserve wildlife no they don't they believe everything that they, that they're told and you know without um oh what's the word i want to use uh, without without debate or without considering other points of view or looking at the science, you know, look at the science. Look look at there's so much research out there about all of this, and that's not emotional, you know. And the emotional thing gets people fired up, and well, they want to save everything, you know. Hum- being humane towards animals doesn't mean that all animals live. Mm-hmm. It just I mean, look what they do to each other out there. Well, and, and so th- there's a great point, you know. Nature is cruel. Oh, is it ever? And and something I've often explained to people when they talk bad about trapping is, okay, I go out, I catch an <clears throat> animal, I check my traps more regularly than I'm required to. Yep. I go out, I find the animal, I harvest the animal, it's quick, it's painless, it's over in a matter of seconds. Okay. Exactly. Yep. Now let's let's take a bobcat for instance. I go out and I harvest a bobcat and and that's that. It's quick, painless, over and done with. Let's take that bobcat. I'm not trapping. Coyotes are exploding. That bobcat gets run down by a pack of coyotes. What do you think is going to happen to that bobcat? It's not going to be quick and painless. It's going to be rip and tear, teeth, claws. Yeah, it's going to be a bloody fight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people always say, oh, man, why would you go out and harvest a deer? They're so beautiful. Well, I'm, I'm allocated that deer a year when I get a tag. And I go out, 
and I shoot the deer, and it's again over relatively it's quickly. It's instant, I, you know. I mean, because I, we all, I think, I would say ninety nine point nine percent of us that hunt or fish or trap or whatever it is that we're doing, um, we're not going to take that shot unless we're sure it's going to be one shot, one kill. Absolutely. We're not, you know, people don't seem to realize or they don't want to hear that almost all hunters, you know, and of course you got the poachers out there and the, and the idiots. I mean, there's always an idiot in every group. Um, but you've got people out there that take great pride um, and a lot of time in making sure that what they're doing isn't going to cause pain and fear and, and suffering. Um, and when you, when animals are, are left to their own devices, I, they're, they're horrible to each other. They, they really are. Well, and where I was going with that, I have seen deer that have dragged themselves 50 yards without their whole back half because of coyotes. They don't, they, you know, people think, oh, they just, yes. they're like a, or, a, you know, they kill them quickly and, and they, they consume them. No, that's not the case. A coyote hamstrings a deer and yep. then they eat them from the back end up. Exactly. Exactly. That, that's, yeah. and you know what? I'm not blaming the coyote. That's what the coyote's been trained no, to do it. for the beginning of existence. But exactly. If you want to, you want to say that what we do as, outdoors men and women is cruel let's take a step back and actually look at nature uh, i i'm in total agreement with that but you know i mean i find animals that have been predated upon because i live in a very you know i live on like five acres i'm at the base of the san bernardino mountains up in the high desert um i see my share of animals that have been predated upon about you know by other animals and you know you know it's like yeah you you poor thing you suffered you really suffered. Um, and, you know, comparing us as human beings as causing that kind of suffering um, to me is, is, is kind of unconscionable because that's, that's not what we're about. And, and that's part of what, you know, like the animal rights issues, you know, they, they don't want people to realize that what we do, we do with a lot of care and a lot of forethought. And it's like me, I have, I have, our logo two cameras set everywhere. I've got traps right now. I'm going to know the second I have a critter in a trap. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go out there and deal with it. I don't care if it's two o'clock in the morning. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to deal with it. And that's being responsible and, and Thanks. professional. And that, you know, that is, I think what people need to see more of. Yeah. And it, well, it's really difficult for people to see more of that when they don't have the eyes to look or the ears to hear about it because they are often already so um, have, have bought so heavily into all of this stuff you see on the internet. And, you know, when they like when PETA does their multi-million member mailers and, you know, all of that stuff, you know, people get this stuff drilled into their head to a point to where those emotions become facts and that's dangerous. It, but it's, dangerous beyond words but what PETA doesn't release and what people don't see is they euthanize more animals per year oh, oh, than I anybody uh, yeah 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 they were up in the 90 something percentiles yeah yeah I mean real nice you know but there's you know the uh, and and you know because they're 
you know, their whole thing is, you know, we should not have animals. All, animals are slaves if they're being kept as pets is, is one of the things that I've, I've literally read. And it's like, wow, like, you know, dogs and, and men have been, you know, uh, together for how millennia. Since the beginning of time, since yeah, since I, domestic ever. man started hunting and fishing and he's sitting there at his fire by a cave. And for some reason, that one wolf came up and, you know, was a little more docile than the rest and and was given a bone or meat scraps or something like that. And then realized, hey, we can have a working relationship here. You know, Exactly. Well, look at all the working dogs out there. You know, the dogs that we use for. You know, like the PCO is used for like um, bed bug detection. And, and a lot of us have dogs that um, hunt down rodents and we have um, dogs that search for people and we have dogs that search do cadaver work and bomb sniffing work. And, you know, th- I mean, the relationship between, you know, man and dog is, you know, so to say that these animals are enslaved, is <laughs> I, I'm sorry, um, that's. I don't agree with that. Nope. Not at all. Not not one not, bit. No. No. And I've worked as, uh, you know, I've worked in animal shelters. I've wor- I, I've seen the other side of that. And um, so, you know, when I hear things like that, when animal shelters are trying to, you know, place beautiful animals for adoption, and you've got organizations that are saying, well, you're enslaving these animals. Yeah, I'm, come on. Mm-hmm. It's sad. I mean, it really it, is. So extreme. Um, you know, I don't consider myself an extreme person. Um, for me, it's more about common sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look at the facts and you take the emotion out of a lot of this or all of this as it should be, um, we shouldn't have a lot, most, if not all of the books, laws on the books that we have in the state. And there's a lot of them. The only time a, a foothold trap can be used in this state is if there is literally a huge risk of loss of human life that that it's even stated in the statute wow yeah and and you know um as i began working as a wildlife control operator years ago um i i grew up right on the oregon washington border and i looked into washington's end of it potentially expanding and right and not even (laughs) <laughs> they aren't even that regulated. Um, their, I think their statute for a foothold as a wildlife control operator, you had a, you could apply for a permit when say like a coyote <clears throat> and coyotes were pretty much the only thing they allowed for footholds. Um, mm-hmm. And this is just, you know, what I read in investigating was, um, you could apply for a permit that was good for 24 days or something like that, or a month and, um, to capture said coyotes that were causing problems. And, and that was, you know, I, I fumbled with it. I still said, you know, that's way, still way too regulated. I'm just going to stay in Oregon. Um, Yeah. Well, I I blame you. You know, you know, it's really, it's really unfortunate when I, get a call um about a mangy sick literally dying coyote somewhere and i i could set a foothold and and you know 
if it's a young animal, we do have wildlife rehabilitators here who will accept coyotes. And we generally don't have problem coyotes in my region. My region is more the, the problems with canids is, is loose and feral dog packs. That's our, our big issue. You know, we got our little tiny Merns coyotes here. They top out at 20 to 25 pounds. Um, you know, they're after small game, uh, things like that. Yeah, occasionally they'll get into a chicken coop and they'll, they'll, they'll take a chicken. But they don't kill everything in the whole coop like dogs do. Mm-hmm. And now the dogs have the fences and they don't fear people and you know, all of that stuff. Um, but, you know, going back to what I was saying, somebody calls me about a really sick coyote that, I mean, it either needs to, and if, if it's a young animal that, that has a, a great chance at, at being able to be released, great. Get that animal to a wildlife rehabilitator. If not, put the poor thing out of its misery. Mm-hmm. You know? But I, I, if I, I want to do that, I have to set a collar on it. And you got coyotes that are so sick that they really don't have a sense of smell anymore and they can't eat. You think they're going to go for a collar? Mm-mm. No. So in unincorporated areas, that leaves us with nothing but sitting and wait and hoping we can put the poor thing out of its misery by shooting it. Which, if you know anything about coyote behavior... Even when they're sick, good luck with that. That's about as effective as as getting them into a cage trap, mm-hmm. which is next to impossible. Oh, absolutely. I I don't know how many times I've had to tell people that that it is next to impossible to get a coyote in a cage trap. I think I've heard of a few instances where it's a puppy, you know. Yes. That that's yep. just curious and doesn't know any better. But once they reach that, you know, adolescent, yeah, um, they that five month old stage, forget it. Yeah, forget it. You know, they've got the, you know, the, what do you think of them? The wily coyotes. They're very smart. I did a, I did kind of a test um, on the east end of my property. I, there's nothing built there. It's it's basically just desert habitat. And I had um, uh, a neighbor across from me that had a, uh, a backhoe for a couple of days. I'm like, do me a favor and just dig me a hole right here. So we did. And I, I went and I sloped it and I made it just like a coyote den. And I, I put a, a, you know, I, a clean as a whistle cage trap in there, a, a huge one. Um, and, you know, the floor was impeccable. You know, the, I mean, it, if you didn't know there was a cage trap down in there, it looked like a coyote den. And I have coyotes run my property almost every day. And that thing saddled for five years. Not one Cody coyote went anywhere near it in five years. Wow. Didn't matter what threw down there for bait. Didn't matter what I used for lures. Didn't matter that I had like little dirt holes, you know, like you know, when you do a dirt hole set, I kind of dirt hole sets kind of in the side where I could I could stick rodents in there or I could, you know, whatever. And I never, ever had one coyote approach that. Not one. And I had a game camera out there watching it the entire time. They know. They're smart. They are very smart animals. You know, and you look down at like L.A. County, you can't even use collarings down there. You can't use snares of any kind. You, You can't use anything except cage traps. I had a gentleman call me like a month and a half ago. He had a coyote scale, a seven foot solid fence that it could not see through into his backyard. It attacked his dog with him standing there, and then it attacked him, and then it went back over the fence, and he called animal control, and they told him, well, maybe you should get a gun. What? <laughs> what? What? I mean, you can't, you know, and, and you know, I mean, I, I called on his behalf to see if, if I could 
break through the, the red tape and what have you. And I got nowhere. Um, I even talked to law enforcement who said, well, you know, you just need to learn how to coexist. And I'm like, that's right out of the Project Coyote handbook. Coexist with coyotes, period. And it's a wait a minute. This guy has a, a, a seven foot solid fence that no animals can see through. And this thing comes right over that fence in broad daylight and attacks he and his dog. And it's a, there's nothing he can do about it. How do you coexist with that? That's my question. That's my question. Wow. And, and I would really like to know what the answer is because I'm sorry. I could not coexist with that. No. I And I can't blame you for, for saying that because that how do you – not go about protecting your personal property or your your yeah. home that is your safe space. That is surrounded by a solid fence that animals can't even see through. Mm-hmm. That guy is taking you know, got, every I, measure. I, I got, yeah, I've had coyotes jump my fence um, more times than I can begin to count. I've watched him do it. I've got, you know, like five-foot chain-link fence around, I don't know, about three acres of my property. And, I mean, they hop it with, you know, I mean, it's nothing to them. It's nothing, um, you know, and I'm okay with that because I don't have things out there that are going to attract them. If they see a ground squirrel or a rabbit or something back there and they want it, knock yourself out, please. You're doing me a favor. You know, they're hunting game and that's what coyotes should be doing. But in all of these neighborhoods that are concrete jungles, I mean, these coyotes run up on porches and bite children. Mm-hmm. We just had a two-year-old kid that was attacked on a beach, on the beach at the ocean by a coyote. This is in the this is in the news. Just you can Google this. Just just two year old Coyote Beach, and and just you'll pop up a whole bunch of stuff. Wow. Um, and so they've got this thing about hunting down the coyote that did it and doing DNA tests to prove they got that animal. Well, how about instead of expending all of that manpower and all that energy and all that effort and all that money, and do what needs to be done to keep these populations at a sustainable level? You know, the coyotes in these areas are problem coyotes, period, and keep things at a manageable level so that people aren't having to deal with this. It, it's it, not fair. In a way, it's preventative maintenance. It is. It's exactly. I, you know, I, I, that's something we talk about all the time with ground squirrels here because we are infested with them. And, and see, the way, the way I look at, things is you know like kind of like what you said if a coyote's out doing what a coyote is supposed to do if he's out hunting mice and gophers and rabbits it's all good where that changes is when that coyote starts attacking livestock or threatening pets and people that yeah that's the distinction right there at least for me it is is. you know and and in my region you know, people that get their dogs attacked, et cetera, it, you know, they're, they're letting chihuahuas out in the dark by themselves at night. What do you think is going to happen? Right. And I've got people, they want me, oh, come out. You need to come out and trap this, these coyotes because, you know, I let poor Fido outside at, you know, midnight to go potty and he never came back. And, you know, I, I found this collar, you know, at the other end of my property and a big puddle of blood. Well, you should have, I've got two smaller dogs and they don't go outside to go potty without me having them on a leash because I know it's, you know, we've got great horned owls that will also attack small dogs at night. It's not just coyotes. Like we got a lot of predators. Mm-hmm. So where's your common sense? So in, in situations like that, no, I'm sorry. I'm not going to go out and trap that coyote because 
you created the problem. You put your animal at risk. You didn't protect your animal. And that coyote was doing what coyotes do mm-hmm. in the, in, in the desert region is very, you know, they're part of the, they're, they're part of what you sign up for when you decide to live here. Yep. You're in like in the middle of like Huntington beach or you're, you're, you're watching animal, you're watching coyotes run around literally in downtown San Francisco that are so smart that they stand at the curb and they look both ways for cars before crossing. That's an issue. Yep. I would say so. And that, and that wasn't happening 25 years ago or whenever, when we still had foothold traps mm-hmm. and we had recreational trapping. I'm a, I'm a California native. I was born and raised in the Bay area of California. I never once saw a coyote as a kid. I'm 56 years old. Now they're, everywhere and the only common denominator in all of this is as these laws have been passed the problems have escalated period it's not all about people moving into areas where you know where you're more in wildlands i've lived in a wildland area running i almost border um, blm land for nearly 25 years here and i'm sorry but you you can't take away all the tools out of the toolbox and expect the problem to not surface. It's, it's doesn't work that way. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So Annie, um, going off of that, when you go out, when you get the call, um, to go, you know, remove a nuisance animal, what do you? What are the restrictions that you have to do after you've caught them? Do you have to work with the fish and wildlife to relocate them? Do you have to have a vet euthanize them? What are those kinds of restrictions that you face? Okay, it it, it is illegal to release California wildlife anywhere other than the property it was trapped on. So that's what Oregon was, does too. Okay, so you know if you're using like a. Yeah, like a positive set or you're, you you know, that's that's the end of everything right there, unless it's a cage trap or you're doing exclusion. Like, you know, let's get this. this let's get this raccoon and, and her, you know, to remove her her young from this attic. And then we're going to do the exclusion work that we need. And she has replaced herself and her her offspring in a place of her choosing. That's fine. You know, um, if they stay on the property and you know, you're not doing anything wrong there, but if you take a trapped animal um, and you re- you know you you remove that animal and you take it to another property and you release it, you have broken the law. And there's a lot of good reasons for that law, you know. And when I explain those laws to people, about 95% of them are okay with it because oh, I never thought of this and I never thought of that, you know. Um, I think part of being a wildlife control operator is taking a good one is taking the time, and it, I don't care how long it takes to explain to people why you need to do the things you need to do. Absolutely. And, and after that, um, you know, our legal methods of, of, of euthanasia for, or I can't even get more, um, uh, you know, the AVMA is kind of crazy, but um, as far as dispatch is concerned, because, you know, we're, we're not doing euthanasia and a lot of people just think of, you know, lethal injection, you know, things like that. Um, our legal methods are CO2. Mm-hmm. Or gunshot, period. That's it. Um, so if you're skilled in one or both of those, you should be able to, and quite frankly, you shouldn't be a wildlife control operator. If you can't, 
do that in a manner that is humane, mm-hmm. as humane as possible. And does that take learning and skills and practice? And absolutely, absolutely. Um, and getting training or hooking up with another WCO who has more experience than you or whatever to, to learn how to do that properly is of paramount importance to our industry. Because if we've got to follow these laws, we need to do this in a way that is acceptable to not only ourselves and our sense of uh, ethics, um, it needs to be acceptable to the public. Mm-hmm. Period. And, and, and Oregon is the same way um, when it comes to to that kind of stuff. You you basically have three main options. It's a CO2 gas chamber, a... Mm-hmm. Um, a gunshot to the head or mm-hmm. um or a vet if you can take them to a veterinarian a licensed veterinarian okay. who can do a chemical euthanization they're right are- well, we have that option too we do have that option um i just didn't mention it because you know i'm i'm talking you know operating in in the absence of that and that's expensive too right no um, that that's very expensive and and I should should go on and say that there are a couple of other methods, but they're extremely hard to do and not real applicable, if you will. Yeah, not not, not to our type of work. Yep. Um, have been a certified euthanasia technician myself mm-hmm. in an shelter setting myself. Um, I understand a lot about those methods. Um, I used to be one of those people, unfortunately, that had to carry that out. And it, it's not fun. Um, also in a veterinary technician capacity. Um, so, you know, you, you know, all we can do is our best and, and use the tools that, that we have. And, and both, you know, all three of those options are, are, are good options. Um, but I think, you know, wildlife control operators need to explain these things to people because, you know, um, you know, oh, oh, what are you going to do? You're going to take that raccoon in that cage and drown it. Uh, well, not only is that illegal, I couldn't live with myself drowning animals. I'm sorry. You know, I almost drowned as a kid. I know what that feels like. And there's, I'm sorry, I could not inflict that on even a rat. I, I just, I can't, mm-hmm. just can't do it. So for me, it's education and taking that time. I know people, you know, they get busy and they, they want to get as many calls in as they can, et cetera. But, but taking that time for, for that client that needs to understand why, you know, in, and for us, it's, you know, you know that placing animals in, in an environment that is not in, within their home range, they don't know where to find food, water, shelter. There's going to be animals of the same species there, and they're going to be protective of, of their, um, you know, their home range or, or their territory. That results in fights and killing each other and all, all sorts of awful stuff. So, you know, you can be dropping animals off and thinking, you know, you're doing such a wonderful thing when that animal is going to slowly starve or die of exposure or thirst or being attacked by other animals or, you know, it's, it's not nice out there or spread disease. And then that's the other one. And, and I, I, I use the, by the bubonic plague, um, uh, argument here a lot because we deal with California ground squirrels who are, you know, they are the primary, um, species that has fleas that carry bubonic plague. Same in Oregon. So, yeah. So, and, and bubonic plague is still alive and well, it may be an ancient disease, but man, it's, it's still around, you know, and it, it hits the newspapers every, you know, in Yosemite or up in Big Bear or somewhere here in the desert, and, you know, and then, I mean, and that's not the only disease. There's others, you know, what if, what if you're releasing a raccoon that's rabid, but it's not showing symptoms yet? Do you want to, do you want to infect all the animals in another area? You take that including goal? domestic animals. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it, with distemper too. You know, and I tell people, get those distemper shots where your dogs make sure they're vaccinated against distemper and parvo because our skunks and our raccoons spread that stuff all over the place. Yep. And yep. it the animal shelters and it ends up, you know, I mean, it's bad. So when I, when I take the time to explain these things and how that animal may very well, it has a very high chance of suffering in what you're trying to do to be nice by releasing them. Most people are okay with that. Mm-hmm. They're not okay with it if you don't take that time. You've got to take that time. Well, and, and that's the other thing too, you know, parvo and distemper and rabies that is some of the most horrible ways for an animal to die that it is it's cruel it's painful it's not pleasant you know i i've seen uh domestic dogs that have gotten parvo because their owners don't want to go and get a shot for them and yeah it sucks it it absolutely sucks and i as a veterinary technician i can't even begin to tell you how much parvo and distemper i i've seen and it is awful and that and that's even with veterinary treatment and and narcotic pain medications and everything else it's still awful for an animal to go through that and with distemper it's usually fatal yep you know and the strains of distemper we have down here uh you often won't even see a first stage where they've got runny eyes and a runny nose and you know and, and they're showing that part of it you suddenly have an animal that's got neurological problems because they're already in the second stage and they're shedding virus like mad mm-hmm. you want it you chance on dropping those animals off into a population of healthy animals and spreading that even further. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be responsible for that. Yep. No. And I don't, I don't either. I don't think anybody does in all retrospect, but I don't think people think about that. Well, no. And I think that's why as WCOs, it's so important that we continually educate people about this. Um, I have some people that, that never ask, but if they do ask, that's one thing i will never ever lie ever um people deserve to be told the truth mm-hmm. we're all grown-ups this is unfortunately this is the way it is and this is why these are the reasons why but i would rather be the person that is handling that animal and doing things humanely than somebody who you know like a homeowner who's trapping raccoons and dumping them in a, tr- in a trash can full of water and doesn't have any idea the, the, of, of the agony that they're causing so um i and the other reason not ever lying is so important is because you may have a client that had another trapper wco whatever that worked for them before you and i cannot begin to count the number of people who are either infuriated or in tears because they thought the animals that they were having trapped were being released in the forest or because they were flat out lied to. And, and that's one of the, you know, when, when I started doing WCO work and, and making my own business policies, one of the policies is you, if the landowner asks you tell them exactly what is going to happen and you explain why and you educate. And as trappers, WCO, nuisance control, ADC employees, whatever you want to call it, you need to be honest and professional about what is going to happen with the animal. And you have to explain all the ins and outs. This is why this is happening. This is, you know, this is the case. 
you know, whether it's explaining about the disease or the carrying capacity of the animals or whatever it may be. Yeah. You you have the responsibility to educate and inform people what is going on. Well, exactly. Because, you know, if, if you look at it, it's it's a lot the same as veterinary medicine. Yes, you're dealing with the animals, you know, and, and you're hands on with the animals. But it's a people business. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with people every single day. Whether you want to admit that or not, you are. So are you going to be that guy who people respect because you've taken that extra hour and let all your other clients know you're going to be an hour late because that one person happens to be the person that needs that time or even rescheduling somebody because, you know, you you need to have that talk? Or are you going to be that guy who just wings through it, lies, and, and ends up, you know, and I mean, you know, it all it all comes full circle that person is never going to forget and is probably going to tell 20 other people that you lied to them mm-hmm. where you've got the you know one one operator who's telling the truth and is respected for not insulting the intelligence of 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 the person who's hired them to do a job yep no absolutely absolutely i get so i i got to tell you that makes me angrier than almost anything else I've, I've I've had to deal with when especially with ground squirrels. Well, I thought they were going up to this area near 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 Big Bear up in the mountains where there's like a squirrel sanctuary up there. I'm like, a what? And I've heard the same story over and over and over again. And it's all come from uh, you know the same person who I don't believe works in this region anymore. And I'm thankful for that because how many people were told this you know this this line. Um, and then I come in, I come in after them and I tell the truth and, and then I, I'm dealing with a fallout of that and, and people feeling, you know, really, really bad because they thought they were hiring somebody probably at a pretty high cost to do what they thought was happening and wasn't. Or is that person actually releasing those animals illegally? And that's not very professional either. And either um, way, it makes you look bad. And yeah, and well, actually, in the end, I think it makes them look a lot worse because you, you take that time, and I've literally just put on the brakes, and and it's like I've got to deal with this right now. Um, I had I had one woman who was absolutely hysterical when and I told her, but but the last guy was here who he told me that, and I could almost put the words in her mouth, and I was like, I'm so sorry that you know this person was dishonest with you. You deserve better than that as a client. And as a human being, you deserve better than that. You deserve to be told the truth. And I that's one thing I will never do is lie to you. And then we went over, you know, well, well, what really happens with them and what do you do? And 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 I I mean, we're talking box of Kleenex crying. You know, I, I felt so horrible for her because she'd been blindsided because of someone else lying. So if you know, if you want your clients to truly respect you and you want your reputation to follow you, don't lie. That's just don't don't do it right no and and annie that that couldn't be more true and that kind of goes into you know the next question that i was going to ask you and you're covering it quite well so i'm just going to kind of let you roll with it um Mm -hmm. what among what you've already said how do you go about being professional in the eyes of the public and what kind and 
what other issues have you had to mitigate because of said other trappers or the uneducated public perhaps? Uh, well, I've had to deal with people, um, destroying my traps. I've had to, um, closing my traps, um, vandalizing my stuff, throwing it over fences where they thought I would never find it. I actually had one person, she ended up charged, uh, a couple of years ago now, uh, with trap tampering. Um, and, you know, she was one of these people that, you know, she's actually, you know, stalking. (laughs) She, she was crazy. Um. You know, but you've always got to have your your eyes open about these kind of people. Always. You always hear your equipment is being watched. And the reason Fish and Wildlife took my complaint seriously because I had video of her doing it. I had came, I had, I sent something was wrong and I already had a few cameras out. Um, I was actually, I was trapping tree squirrels under a permit. All tree squirrels in California require a depredation permit. So that's what I was doing, you know, with, with Fish and Wildlife's blessing. And dealing with a serious problem where they were spreading fleas in a senior community. There were people being bitten by fleas that were that big flea allergies. They were destroying all of the irrigation. They were destroying heritage oak trees. They chewed through a 50-foot-high palm tree to the point to where the top of the palm tree fell off. And if it would have killed somebody, oh. if it had landed on someone. But, you know, here comes, you know, whoever she is walking, you know, being hired to walk somebody's dogs. And she sees my traps and, and absolutely has a fit. And so she's, and I'm wondering why I'm not trapping animals. It's like, wow, I trap here every year and I should be, you know, uh, these traps should be filling up, you know, I just had swing panels out there. This thing should be filling up in an hour and they're empty and they're tripped. What's going on here? So if I hadn't had video, Fish and Wildlife wouldn't have been able to do anything. It would have been, he said, she said. So you always got to be prepared for the fact that there are people out there like that, that feel fully justified in breaking the law and california does have laws regarding trap tampering thank goodness um but you know so there's there's reasons to invest in things that that are going to help you in the event you have a problem cameras are one of them um if i'm setting traps anywhere where i think i'm going to have any problems at all even if they're traps that i'm going to be checking regularly i'm gonna have camera stash somewhere even if it's just a cheap game camera that takes still shots whatever use something the other thing, one of the other things is to always behave in a manner where you're assuming that someone is watching every move that you make. Mm-hmm. Because in this world and in these times where everybody's got a video camera in their cell phone and there are cameras everywhere, surveillance cameras on people's homes, etc., chances are somebody is watching. Mm-hmm. And if you behave in a manner that is unprofessional and you get caught and you're on camera you got a big problem because that's kind of stuff will blow up with all the social media and everything that we have that stuff will it, it'll it'll just congeal into the ugliest thing you've ever seen in a matter of hours and, and it doesn't matter even if you're doing everything by the book and correct they exactly they will take an inch and make it into a mile to make oh, yeah, you look run bad. Oh yeah, they'll well. And the thing you got to really consider is it doesn't just make you look bad; it makes our entire profession look bad. Absolutely, absolutely. So everybody viewed with the same lens. So you know, uh, you know, I I train people, and the one thing I I I continue to drill this into people's heads 
always assume you're being watched. Mm-hmm. Always assume you're being, unless you are literally in the middle of the desert and you can, you're standing on top of something and you can see for miles around you, you're, you're probably being watched. You're probably being videoed. You're probably somebody, you know, whether you realize it or not. So, you know, no, I'm, you know, I mean, there's, is, there's a real fine line there, you know, because we're, we're, we're not supposed to remove animals from a property unless they've been euthanized. But I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to shoot an animal when state law says I cannot discharge a firearm within 150 yards of any dwelling. That includes camper shells and sheds and, and any uh, outhouses, whatever's out there. You can't do that. So am I going to use something like that and do it in a, in a, in a, a subdivision full of kids playing outside? No, I'm not. So, you know, I, I've got the law there and, you know, there's the spirit of the law and there's the letter of the law. I would much rather go down to the end of the road. And if I've got, um, you know, a, a, you know, a CO2 um, container or something like that on my truck, you know, I can place animals in, 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 in traps into something like that. And no, nobody's going to know. And I'm leaving. So nobody's going to know what, what's happening. Mm-hmm. And the process has already started. Um, but you, you've got, you know, it, it's a very tough line to walk, especially for people that are in, in more um, um, like cities um, where, you know, you've got house after house after house, you know, where with a lot of where I am, you, know, you got one house on 10 acres and another one on five acres and et cetera. Mm-hmm. So um, that makes it very tough to follow those laws. And and it's hard to do you, but you got to do your best to do so. So you know, there's the letter of the law and there's the spirit of the law. And when those laws are written, I understand exactly what those laws imply. But I also have to consider what the public can stomach. And I don't want somebody's you know eight year old across the street seeing an animal being dispatched, even if it is humane. Mm-hmm. And, so and and. You know, and- in consultation, not everybody has the ability to cope with that. And, and people have to understand that, you know, one of the things that um, we've always discussed at OTA is, you know, man has been sharing pictures of animals he's harvested since the beginning of time with cave paintings. That's what one of our, uh, well, that's true. our main yeah, members you- say. Yeah, you'll see the stick figure with the spear and the lion there or whatever. Oh, yeah, you're right. And But in today's world of social media, we don't need to put pictures on for everything that we do. You know, I agree. And that, I agree. that's one of our biggest hindrances is that, you know, that one picture that somebody takes offense with, that is the ammunition for um their cause and again, i agree appealing to the emotional side of people exactly you know and you know i on some of the you know some of the recreational you know fur trapping pages you know somebody will post something and, and i'm just like oh man and well they've already got enough ammo you know what's what's another photo well you know okay if you ever want to get rid of the stereotypical you know old you know trapper out there who's you know bludgeoning animals over the head and and you know bloody paws and you know all of all of that stuff that they've painted into the public's mind you're never going to get there if you keep posting this stuff 
And, you know, if I, if I post anything, I was like, if I have a great night um, controlling rabbits on a golf course, cause I do a lot of uh, PCP or air rifle work at mm-hmm. night. Um, those photos are going to stay within the professional community, period. Absolutely. They're not going to, they're not going to go on a page that's being infiltrated by, you know, um, antis who are who are looking for ammunition. I'm not going to give them any. I'm just I'm just not. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, attitudes, you know, especially with recreational trapping, the those attitudes they need some help because as time goes on, um, and as people continue to have current images, um, of trapping going on um you know you can't say wow well that's what used to happen 30 years ago we don't do that anymore or whatever everybody's going to get painted with the same brush everybody yeah and the guy posting that stuff if you know i I know people that have been hounded by antis to the point where they've had to get restraining orders literal restraining order had to go to court and get restraining orders because of stalking and and just total harassment um so why why put yourself in that situation in the first place um, I just don't think it's necessary. I think there's plenty of pictures out there. Um, you know, with hunting, if you, if you, you know, got your one deer for the year, okay, great. More people are, you know, there's people that are going to even have a fit about that. But if, you know, you're, you're, you're hunting for your food, recreational trapping, there's always going to be that, that, that friction there. So I don't feel like adding to it. And, and now that I can't trap recreationally, I couldn't add to it if I wanted to, but then again, for people to see there's a difference between a WCO and a recreational trapper. A trapper is a trapper to most of the public. Mm-hmm. We're, so we're all lumped in the same boat. Exactly. Exactly. So if they want to, you know, then they're going to throw us all in the, the same bowl and they're going to stir a big spoon. And what happens when that spoon, get, you know, what happens when that gets stirred up? You lose tools that you need in your toolbox, like footholds. And sometimes the snares or um, uh, I, I, I could, there's a laundry list of things that I could just spout off about this, mm-hmm. um, but I would be redundant. Um, I, I just, I feel that, you know, if, if trapping is, you, you know, is going to survive anywhere in this country, um, people need to be a lot more careful uh, about how they're behaving or, or the type of behavior that they're showing. Because there's no, when you look at a photo, there's no context. Mm-hmm. It's just a photo. And then people can can narrate that how, and twist it and turn it any way they want. Don't give them that opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. So you know, I've seen the post about well, I'll do whatever I want. And I don't care. I'll you know, I don't care if it ever becomes illegal. I'm just going to do whatever I want. Really, you know? Do you, do you realize what you're doing to other people who are who have lost those rights, like me? Hmm. It, it it becomes a very big issue um, when you get that kind of stubbornness and attitude that I'm going to do what I want. I don't care about others. We all represent each other. If, if I run into somebody in the public and I'm sitting having a conversation and I tell them, oh, yeah, I... I'm a trapper and this and that, or I'm explaining something to them. And they've had a run in with somebody else who has had that kind of attitude. They're immediately going to have a sour taste in their mouth towards me. Yes, they are. I've come across a lot of that in my life. 
it's way harder to rebuild the bridge once it's been burnt. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If not impossible. If not impossible. Because, yep. Yeah. Because you you've got you know like with our legislative processes here you know that that's that's the kind of stuff that these people then take and say yeah look what look at all these pictures we gathered from last year and they'll take that to some legislator who needs in contributions and wants to remain in office. And so, of course, what are they going to do? They're going to take that. And they're going to write some kind of legislation and they're going to grease it right on through. Yep. They're, you know, I mean, it's that easy and it's that fast. You've got like um, PETA and HSUS and, and these organizations have huge, I mean, million, million, millions of dollars that they, they and, and they've, they've hired, uh, oh gosh, what do they call those people? Um, oh goodness. Um, uh, people that are, are, uh, lobbyists yeah. uh you know they got paid lobbyists they've got i mean you know the their pot their, their pockets are bottomless ours aren't no because the people who are in this sort of profession are more of the working class they don't you know just like what we were talking about earlier they're working class people who are just trying to make ends meet living paycheck to paycheck and it's not as feasible as Everybody that's in the Silicon Valley, for instance, or Portland or I was, Seattle yeah. that yep. have these high-end jobs that don't understand. But they, they see one bad thing and they're like, you know what? I'm going to donate $1,000 to that cause. And when you have 2.7 million. Or 50000 or I mean, look at the budgets that these, these organizations have. Um, You know, and there, there's a saying about, you know, well, you know. Uh, what happens by way of California happens to the rest of the country. There's some truth to that. There is. And a lot of people bag on California. You know, I get, I've had people that have ranted and raved on, oh my God, you know, your state sucks and your state this and your state that and da 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 And I hate you people. And wow, really? Okay. What are you doing? And, you know, uh, what do you understand about what's happened in this state to, to create these problems in the first place? Do you realize you have been somebody who actually contributed to that? Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what state photos and things like that come from. It matters that they're there. Yep. To be used. So while I understand people's frustrations with California and no, but no, believe me, I understand it better than anybody. I'm, I'm a native. Um, at the same time, people need to realize that. If, if they don't clean their acts up, for lack of a better term, they're going to end up, and, and it's not going to be California's fault. It's it's actually going to end up being their own fault. So, you know, it, you, you've got to keep your, you've got to organized. You've got to, um, you know, have people that stay on top of, of possible legislative action. You've got to, you know, like, like the NTA does and the, um, uh, what's the name of the other national organization? I love them both. Um, but I see what they're doing. And it's like when when these trapping bans, you know, were, were looming in California, none of the national organizations really did a thing because they knew it was the lost cause. And they already knew. Yep. So it's like, you know, why, why expend the, the, the manpower and the energy and everything else on, you know, letter writing campaigns to to you know, whoever uh, or showing up at meetings because you already know that you're just spinning your wheels. You know, don't let your state end up like that. No, absolutely. Help don't help your state to end up like that. 
because for somebody like me, I'm just a little guy. It's out of it's way out of my hands. I can't influence legislation when they've got people that are are getting, you know, so much money in campaign contributions and lobbyists that are making who knows how much money a year greasing this stuff through um, the legislature without the people ever really having a say in what happens. And for anything that ever makes it to a ballot, you can bet your boots that there's going to be a lot of money spent in trying to get people to vote for laws like these. And they're not going to know any better. A lot of times they don't even realize what they're voting for. Mm-hmm. Mountain lions are one of those issues here that people vote for. Same with Oregon. Yeah. So, so you get it. Yep. You know, but I think people in the Midwest and, and, you know, some of the Southern states and stuff like that, oh, that'll never happen here. Never say never. No. Never say never. California used to be a, a massive fur producing state back in the day. Mm-hmm. Those days are over. And now all those same animals are wreaking havoc in areas because there are too many of them. So if you want to lose your, your traditional rights and, and your, you know, your, your family tradition, if you want to start losing that stuff, keep behaving in an irresponsible manner. It's, it, it will happen. I guarantee it, it's going to happen. There are states that I thought would never see legislation coming up. And a lot of it's been defeated at this point, thank goodness. But states where I never thought I would see legislation popping up regarding anti uh, trapping or or you know, anti hunting or even anti fishing. Some of this, you know, it's it's crazy. Oh, absolutely! It it it's one of those things that we got to get on the ball and we got to get after it. We got to show them a dip the reality, if you will. You know, you got and you got to stay on the ball. You know, you you can't let your guard down. You can't, and and that's where behaving professionally comes into play. Whether you're 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 recreational trapping or or you're doing nuisance work. Um, you know, how, how you're portraying yourself in public, all of that stuff, it all, it all becomes one big ball of wax. Mm-hmm. So what kind of ball of wax are you handing to people to use against you? Or what ball of wax are you handing to people so that they understand because of education and not emotion that what you're doing is necessary and is actually the better of the two options? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know what else I can say about that. I think you pretty much well covered it. That uh, I mean, in and honestly, you did. You covered that very well, and um, you hit the nail right on the head. That's what we have to do. Yeah. Well, it's. I think it's kind of easy for me to hit the nail on the head because I've lived it. Yeah, you've lived it. You've seen it. You can tell us what's coming down the pipe. I mean, if if we were to get rid of trapping in Oregon, it, it's going to turn right into California. Yeah, it is. In it, that it really in is. that instance of problems. It, it really is. And, and then, you know, if you're on the WCO side of things, because, you know, I saw a lot of comments on trappers pages and stuff when when all trapping became illegal here for recreational trapping in 2019 um, for, for, for the 2020 season. Oh, well, you know, all, all the wildlife control operators are going to love this. Are you kidding me? That's one of the worst laws I've ever seen passed. I wasn't happy about this. All I could think was, oh, man, this is going to cause so many problems with with property damage and, and, you know, human wildlife, negative human wildlife interactions and disease and overpopulation and spillover. And 
carrying capacity being breached, you know, causing that spillover, et cetera. And, and I'm sitting here watching it happen. It's awful. Yep. And and you're probably busier than you'd like to be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm trying to deal with this with far less tools in my toolbox than most of the rest of the country. Yep, absolutely. So, it's, a, it's a tough so job that you... That I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say I've, I have not been sorely tempted because I have done some trapping in, the, in Nevada and I can use offset footholds there if I need to. And if I'm trapping in that state and I have Nevada tags on those traps so that if Fish and Wildlife ever comes after me, I sorry, I don't use those traps in this state. Those are for Nevada. So that's their laws and you can check their laws and see. So that said, you think there hasn't been a time or two. I haven't been absolutely tempted beyond belief when I've had a real problem to take out one of those footholds and use it. The temptation is almost overwhelming, but then I have to come back to what's professional and what's legal and what is good for my business and what is bad for my business. Mm -hmm. I have to go. I, I can't go with this bobcat attacked a person in a garage and I'm going to do what I need to do. I, I can't, I can't. As much as I'd like to, I can't. Not if I'm not going to give the rest of this industry a black eye. Or I'm not going to give this, the rest of this industry a black eye. I have to think about more than me. Everybody needs to think more of more than just about themselves, regardless of the type of trapping that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, Annie, you're a very professional um woman in this industry and that was my you know leading into the the next thing is uh i'm gonna give you a little bit of a chance here you know let's talk about um because you know one of our biggest things is we want to diversify who are trappers we don't want to just see um guys in the trapping industry right um right let's let's talk about um getting women into the into the trapping agency if you will oh i think women can make amazing trappers and and there's some reasons for that um women tend to be very detail oriented not everybody i can't put everybody in the you know in the same in the same box but generally speaking women are are pretty detail oriented creatures um it just kind of goes hand in hand with with motherhood and, and you know all those things it's just part of how we're made and that for for being a trapper is an amazing attribute to have um i notice things that a lot of people other people probably don't notice and part of that is because i've been trapping for so long but part of it is just because of the way my mind works um and, and just noticing little details about things and 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 thinking outside the box, which I do a ton of, um, I think, especially when, you know, lady WCOs, um, I think we kind of have an advantage there because, you know, we're often dealing, um, with people who are at home during the day while the other, you know, the, the other partners at work, often that's a woman and she's home alone. So there, it, it already kind of, um, there's a bit of a safety factor there, if you will, not, not that, you know, men are, threatening or anything but women seem to be more at ease at times especially when they're home alone because let's face it we we don't live in america during the you know leave it to beaver years anymore society's changed a lot so people are 
um, sometimes very standoffish about having other people come to their homes and 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 do work. Um, let's face it. So um, when on the flip side of that, there's a segment of the population that thinks we're really not capable of doing this type of work, and and I'm one of those hold my beer people because. Um, I know, and and there are other women out there who do amazing work. Um, I think uh, there are women that want to do this kind of work, whether it's recreational trapping or wildlife control work, who feel a little intimidated because, yes, this is a very male-dominated industry. If you're if you're looking at the professional side of things, um, but if your work speaks for itself, and you're always willing to learn. Um, you're always willing to continue educating yourself, et cetera. I, th- I think women, there, there's a huge future for women in this industry. Huge. I mean, I've done it, and I've done it all by myself. I didn't have anybody. I had nobody but me. If I can do it, why why can't other women do it? Other women should be doing it. If, if that's their calling and they've got that fire in their belly about doing this kind of work, there's, they shouldn't let anything stop them. They shouldn't feel intimidated. They shouldn't, you know, and it's sometimes it's it's hard um, when whenever you're starting out doing anything new, not to feel intimidated because, yeah, there's bullies out there, you know, there's and, and I don't get a lot of that in the industry itself. I'm sure there's a, probably a, a couple of guys out there that think I should be, you know, staying home, you know, cooking dinner, cleaning the house, you know, whatever. That's just not the way I'm made. Um most of the problems I deal with are, are in the public itself. Um, I've had situations where I've shown up and uh, people, ha- you know, a man asked me, well, when's the trapper showing up? I'm, well, you're looking at her. Wait, what? You know, and then try to tell me where they think I should set my traps and things like that. And you got to be smart in how you deal with those people. You know, for, and I've had this happen several times with, you know, guys that, that are suddenly telling me how to do my job. And I, I, you know, inside, am I a little miffed about that? Yeah, but I don't tear their head off. I turn around. Whoa, you've got trapping experience. You know, how how long were you trapping? Where, you know, what, were you doing nuisance work or, or, or recreational for trapping? What were you doing? And all, there's this huge pregnant pause because they've never done this kind of work ever. Mm-hmm. And then they realize, whoa, I really um, should have stayed in my lane. Yeah, you should have, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, it, so you need, you know, you need, you, you need to be able to deal with the public in a way to where, you know, your, your professionalism shines through, but at the same time, you're not going to take any crap from anybody. Um, it, it, and I've actually had people tell me, um, when I, I had a technician got very sick and I said, you know, I'm going to stop by and uh, check your gopher traps and no, you need to send the man. And I'm like, well, why? I don't want you on my property whoa okay that's a whole different level you know what you're fired as a client mm-hmm. i own this business and if you don't want me on your property then my employees aren't good enough. i don't want my employees on your property enjoy your gophers you know there there's there's a line you have to draw in the sand and i'll dry the that's where i'll draw the line that's happened twice in my whole career twice but most most people are at the point now to where you know they they're understanding you know i mean because there's you know you look at, you know, 30 years ago, there were no, you know, lady welders, uh, mechanics, you know, all that stuff. And women have broken through those industries. And there's a lot of them now. And nobody really thinks twice about it. But when when you're looking at trapping, there's still that kind of that. Uh, I don't know what the word I want to use. Um, tension. 
No, it's it's just kind of what people expect. It's like a, a stereotype. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's still, still some of that stereotype there. And, you know, I know there there's guys out there that, you know, that, that don't think I should be doing what I'm doing. But I, I'm not going to let that stop me. I mean, I haven't yet. Why would I? They don't matter, you know. Um, for me, um, yeah, I'm female. So what? If I can do a good job, let me do it. If I don't go do, do a good job, please tell me. Absolutely. I'm no different, than, no different than anybody else. So for women out there, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about getting into wildlife control work or you're considering getting into recreational trapping, you know, do something like, you know, join the COA, National Wildlife Control Operators Association. Join your state trapping association if there is one. If there's not one, go to go to Trappers College. Go to there, there's a lot of things you can do. You know, buddy up with somebody that you know, in your region that's already, you know, doing trapping. If you, if you think you're interested in WCO work, um, you know, do a ride along for a week and see if that's what you want to do. And if it is, jump in feet first and just go for it. You know, I mean, I, I did. Mm-hmm. No, I and you know what? <clears throat> I feel go like they, sh- they should. And Annie, I can commend you for what you do because you do an amazing job. Um, well, thank you from from everything I've heard and you know talking with you. There's no reason why women can't get into this profession. And no, there's really not. There's really not. You know, and I, I you know, I, I know there's you know there's women that you know work with their husbands in the wildlife control industry, and I'm seeing a few more of those women are they're, they're starting to get, you know, into the physical end of it. They're not just, you know, you know, handling the books and the office work and stuff like that. You know, they're going out with their husbands and, and they're learning skills and they're, they're learning how to trap and they're learning. That's amazing. I love seeing that. I absolutely love seeing that. And, you know, the sky's really the limit. You know, if you, if you stick with it and, and you are open to training, which I, I can't say enough about training, 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 training. There is not a soul in this world that knows everything there is to know about wildlife control work or trapping. Nobody. There's things I don't know about things that happen uh, on the other end of the country. Species I've never even seen, let alone trapped. Um, there's animals that of the same species in other areas of even my own state that don't behave the same way they behave here. There's, it's a lifetime of learning. And I think that when you finally stop learning is the day you die, when you can't learn anymore. So I'm all about training, training, training. Get those certifications, spend the money on those courses it's worth it. It's so worth it. Um, I've, I've gone through a ton of training um, and I do train. I offer training. I offer um, uh, venomous handling um, training um, to first responders and biologists and, uh, you know, uh, military, things like that uh, through a company called Adaptation out of Colorado. Um, I also um, a CWCP. I'm a certified wildlife control professional. The only one in California the only active female CWCP in the country. I want to see more ladies get there because they're so capable. Well, Annie, I commend you for what you do, um, especially with the struggles that you have to face to do what you do. You know, that limited toolbox. Um, I, yeah. I, I think. Well, you know what? I'm not going to lie and, you know, say it's all, you know, puppies and rainbows and butterflies because it's not. If you think there's days I haven't thought about throwing in the towel out of frustration, um, I'd be lying if I'd say there's not days like that. There are. There really are. Um, but 
learning how to overcome those things when you can and knowing that all you can do is your best is I think what matters the most. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. Don't let your state end up like mine. I cannot stress that enough. We're going to do everything that we can to make sure that that doesn't happen. I, I make the statement someday when I have grandkids, I want them to be able to continue doing what I'm doing. Yeah, I've got I've got four of those, and they're in a state that's got laws in called they're all in Colorado, so they've got states they've got laws that are almost as bad as ours yeah. already. I lived there when you know fur trapping was huge thirty years ago, forty years ago, whenever it was I was there, um, thirty years ago, um, and now it's like I can't even believe it's the same state. But people don't notice that as much because it's not California. Right. But it's 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 happening. It's happening in a lot of states. And even if, you know, you don't think it matters to you because you're a WCO and not a fur trapper. Well, guess what? It does. It matters every bit as much because trapping at the end of the day is trapping. Yep. Doesn't matter what title you put on it. It's all trapping. It's all trapping. Yep. Well, Annie, if people want to get information from you or uh, get a hold of your business, uh, where can they go to find you? Uh, you can find uh, find us on the internet at HD, H is in high, D is in desert, hdtrapping.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook uh, under Annie Raish. You can find High Desert Wildlife Control LLC on Facebook and on Instagram and um, you know, people are, are welcome to private message me on, on Facebook or, or wherever. Um, uh, I'm sometimes it takes me a while to get back to people, but I'm always, you know, more than happy to, you know, choose a fat or, or if there's something I can help troubleshoot or, um, you know, something like that, or people just have questions about maybe getting into this industry, you know, there's resources that I'm more than happy to steer you to. Um, I'm not that hard to find. All right. Pretty, pretty open book. Lots of resources. If you got questions about, uh, uh, wildlife control work or getting into trapping or becoming a WCO, reach out to Annie. Sounds like she's more than willing to help you. Absolutely. Anytime. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show, Annie. Um, it's a, it was a great segment. Um, a lot of good information you provided. Um, for the listeners out there, if you want to write into the show or obtain more information, if you have questions, comments, or want to be part of the show, email us at organtrapperpodcast at gmail.com, and I'll see you next week.